For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Good evening. Welcome to today's Entrepreneur presented by FL Montreal, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar along with FL Montreal's Josh Miller. Hello again, Josh. Hello, Dan. Hope you missed me from last week. I always miss you, Dan, even during the week when you're not around, when we're both not here. That's what I like to hear. We've been in a 10-year relationship, I expect. A little bit of missing. When you, when you start noticing that I change my glasses every week. You know. <laughs> I did. They're very nice. From Ronit First, a former guest One of on our the past show. guests, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so tonight on the program, we'll be chatting with Bruce Takafman of Research Consultants International. He has a new piece of software that uh, it'll tell us about as well, uh, along the management side. Also, managing a partner of FL, Michael Newton, joins us to talk about mergers and acquisitions later in the show. And uh, coming up first, though, our usual entrepreneurial chat. Uh, News and notes. Let's begin with um, with tomorrow. Tomorrow's a big day. Budget for day tomorrow. Federal budget day. Federal budget day. Lots of coverage, of course, on the Aaron Duran show tomorrow with uh, me filling in for Aaron. We'll have a uh, breakdown uh, from one of your specialists, actually, on the program tomorrow. And uh, what what do you expect, first of all? You know, it's uh, I, I guess the the understanding and you know after the after last year's July eighteenth Bill Morneau notes that came out with a whole bunch of of commentary and you know tax on on split income and uh, and of course this Pell passive rule and all that I think there's there's a, certainly a lot of pressure on tax rates themselves be it corporate be it personal there is there is especially with Trump and the U.S. tax reform that's out there that has dropped personal tax rates, corporate tax rates as well, but personal tax rates, a significant amount. Uh, I think there's a lot of pressure to make sure that tax rates, A, don't go up, but hopefully go down. I mean, the reality is, uh, you know, corporate tax rates here, you know, if you're under half a million dollars, great, it's, you know, 19% approximately here in Quebec. But if you're over, or if you're not a Canadian controlled company, then it's over 27%. That is, that 27% is a few percent higher than most OECD countries around the world. So already you're there. But from a personal side, it's even worse. Because of personal side, if you say live in Florida, you might be paying tax rate somewhere in the mid 30s or mid high 30s because there's no state tax. If you're here and you're a professional here, or a doctor, or whatever employee you are here, you could pay 53, 54% depending what province you live in. So there could be an upwards of a, of a 15, 20% difference in personal rates. The concern that I, you know, yes, it's the rates and the individuals here that stay here, it's terrible, but the concern is, is there going to be a big brain drain as a result? Are there going to be professionals that are going to go south of the border and say, hey, you know what, why am I going to give away that many more dollars if I'm earning you know, a few hundred thousand dollars a year. Well, that could be, you know, 50 grand difference of, of what I can, what I can get for my money. Now, of course you have to compare apples with apples and living in, living in Montreal or Quebec or Canada isn't like living in the States. Uh, you know, you have your, your health insurance and all that. So you have to put everything on an even scale, but not everybody thinks that way. Everybody is all about taxes, taxes, taxes. So that, that's certainly part of it. The, uh, this is an interesting story. Artificial intelligence uh, may soon take over your HR department, if, at least if uh, three uh, ex-Google employees have their say. And there's a software they developed called Spoke. Uh, and it's it's quite interesting because, you, you know, we've hear, we keep talking about chatbots, uh, Dan, on the show before, and certainly a lot of artificial intelligence. They are saying, you know, there's so much 
typical answers that human resource departments do for, for employees and groups of employees, you can program it to easily answer many questions uh, about there and many questions that employees have so you can you can be a lot more efficient uh, and, and and answer. I mean, they, they were building platforms uh, just to make it easier to manage the employees and manage that experience. I believe they were they were also trying to handle facilities requests, you know, where meeting and meeting equipment room reservations. Uh, and of course, the chatbot can also understand if they can't answer, it can also pass on a request to an individual. So th- there's there's a lot of things that the artificial intelligence can do. My concern, of course, it's a, it's a great app, it's a great great potential software and could take a lot of guesswork and a lot of can put a lot of uniformity in some human resource practices. But what's the flip side? Do you lose the connection? Do you lose the human connection? You know, how many people are staying in an environment because they have that human connection? Now, you can get it elsewhere, uh, you know, if you're working with a colleague next to you. But it, but it's uh, artificial intelligence. I don't know how far it's going to go. You know, how many, how many chatbots are we going to see popping up on our screens everywhere, uh, whether it's internal, external, this site, your own business? Uh, I, I don't know at what point it, it will it will really overtake and kind of... I don't know. It doesn't doesn't sit great with me, just because you know I'm a more of a people person. I love to to deal and interact there, and you and body language is important. You know, you have a chat body, put a question, but you don't really see a reaction. So I'm I'm not so sure. Uh, how great it is for everything. Yeah, the chatbots that I interact with, you know, when I have to, when it's a delivery service or something, it just, yeah, never works out. You never quite, you know, understand what, uh, what the, they never understand what the problem is really, but. Maybe in a few years. I mean, they do learn, you know, but uh, but it will take time. This story from Inc.com um, speaks to me. How to hype up your product before it's ready for the market. Yeah, and this is something I'm sure, Dan, you can definitely pipe into, but they, they list a, a few items and uh, a little bit common sense, but a lot of people wait for their product to get out there, and, and you know we'll we'll talk to uh, to Bruce a little later about his his product and his app that he put out. But even before you get there, you know what can you do? What what can you do to kind of build that hype? You know, and of course, social media is is everybody would think certainly to that. Uh, certainly on a crowdfunding, if you're also looking for funds, there's a whole bunch of hype that can be built there. Uh, and and of course. Um, Beta, like test groups, you know, yeah. if you're thinking of a great idea, well, bring in a test group, kind of refine it on the go, but then you'll have all these people that are already all talking about it. You know, when you, when, when you're thinking, you know, PR, Dan, and public relations, somebody's out there and they have a great idea, you kind of want to get the word out there. You want to get those forums. You want to get people talking about it, the buzz out there, even if you don't have that right product or that product built yet, you might not want to do it two years before, but certainly building up. Uh, I don't know what you, what you've seen or experienced, uh, in your business, well, it definitely requires a lot of planning, and you want you you don't want to sort of um, uh, launch your company's communications after the business has been launched. You want to do that well in advance and, and have a plan going in. One tip I'll give uh, that's mentioned in the article is the so- social platforms. So every business, in my opinion, should have a different social media mix depending on what the business is and who they want to reach. You don't necessarily have to be active or or heavy on all social platforms, uh, but you should be on most of them, uh, even if it's Google Plus, which doesn't really do a whole lot for people in most industries. Why should you set up your profiles? Because it's just another area where people can find information on your website. Searchable. Searchable SEO, search engine optimization. So as long as you set up a profile on the top, say, 
I don't know, uh, five to eight social networks, at least you're covered. At least you can put your website there and drive a little bit of traffic. Uh, and then what you do is you focus your, your best content on the social networks that are closest to your, to your audience. Now, what about media? What about journalists and all that? Is it is a good idea? You know, they say, you know, if you can get an article in the paper and talking about your idea, uh, you see that? Do you see that often? You see good feeding, feeding the journalists with some information? For sure, but uh, that's that's where sort of people like me come in because how how does the average entrepreneur know what's going to make the news and what doesn't? It's it's a bit of a tricky situation. Uh, in many cases, I tell people to not reach out to media because what you what you'd want to do is avoid uh, burning contacts and avoid bothering journalists when there's no real news story there. So consult a professional like me or someone or someone else in marketing or PR who could tell you how to spin that story and to make it really news to, to how to make the news. Uh, if I, if you bug people too too often too soon, it'll backfire, and that could sort of land you and your product in the junk mail folder of a lot of important people. I guess it's also if you start with journalism and you start with maybe some smaller papers or smaller publications. Oh yeah, you kind of get you know you get you refine your message. You know, it might have the perfect message at first, but you'll refine it so that when you ultimately get to the better press, the better journalist, you've really got it honed down for sure. Invest in a bit of media coaching if necessary. Figure out who in your organization is going to be the spokesperson, the brand ambassador. Uh, Develop them as a personality, as a as a leader in your industry, and uh, and then hopefully uh, the sales will come because it's uh, it's showcasing your expertise, which you should be doing. Start early, don't wait till it's too late. Yep. Uh, one thing I wanted to bring up is uh, real quick the the smoked meat uh, empire. Uh, in Toronto, which is um, going through some rough times. I'm talking about Kaplansky's delicatessen. So Montrealers who moved to Toronto, and there are many of them, uh, had trouble finding some good smoked meat, a good Jewish deli. But Kaplansky's is, is an example of, I think, how one minor problem, in this case a lingering dispute with his original landlord, can really sort of put the put the uh, wrench in, in an entire empire. I mean, Mr. Kaplansky was going to s- expand all over the place, and this dispute with his landlord um, really cost him a lot of that that business. Well, it really, you know, he was he was cost to shut down. He wasn't shut down for really more than a week. I think it was less than that. But that, in addition to some bad press, in addition to, you know, I, I think his sales were slowing a little bit. He had opened up. Like, there were a few things that happened all at once that really causes, and then of course, you know, when you're when you're dealing with a legal issue, legal lawyers aren't cheap. So mm. there's a whole bunch of things, and in the restaurant business, sometimes margins are very tight, uh, and especially during certain times of the year where your business is down. So it was it was kind of the the nail that put it in. I think he still has maybe one location in, in Terminal One, uh, but it's unfortunately a story that uh, if you don't mind the entire part of your business, uh, you could get hit. All right, coming up next, uh, we'll begin our profile chat with Bruce Tackoffman of Research Consultants International, uh, and we'll talk about mergers and acquisitions later in the program as well. But For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, Chartered Professional Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back to today's Entrepreneur, inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and FL Montreal's Josh Miller with you. And this evening, we're going to chat with Bruce Tackoffman of Research Consultants International. Bruce, welcome to CJD. Guys, great to be on the program. Thanks for having me. Uh, first, easiest question, what is Research Consultants International? Well, I'll definitely answer that. It's uh, Research Consultants International is a market research company that's uh, based and also a business intelligence company that caters to economic development organizations and trade professionals around the world. 
Now, when did you get into the? And now, when you say caters to them, what exactly? Like, what type of business intelligence? What do you What do you look for them? Like, what is the What is the the data that you search and mine for? Uh, give to them. Well, the key thing an economic development professional is looking for is the next company announcement they're going to find for a plant or R and D facility that's going to be in their backyard. So, our job is to be kind of behind the press release and find the next company or project that's going to be in our client's region or city or state. So, your clients are. Their cities, their government, they're also corporations. Exactly. You know, we, we work uh, with clients as small as 500 people and as large as country size, as millions of people. Uh, for example, one of our clients is Investi Small Quebec, and we've helped them land uh, companies to be right here in Montreal. One such company was uh, in Chicago called Gorilla, Gorilla Group. Uh, they went ahead and they went, Invest Quebec met the company. And from there, they fostered a relationship, invited them up for a hockey game against the Pittsburgh Penguins and Sidney Crosby. And next thing you know, uh, Gorilla Group has expanded to Montreal, creating over 100 jobs. So lead generation, that's, 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 I mean, would you classify it as lead generation? Exactly. Lead generation, matchmaking, appointment setting, but using business intelligence to go ahead and do that. How did you know that that business in particular would be a good fit for Quebec? Uh, really, it, it hit all the right parameters. Uh, really, a company was looking for a uh, different talent base that was not available in Chicago or may have been too expensive. And they were looking for certain uh, R&D tax credits that were not available in Illinois. It just happened to be a perfect match at the right time, and Quebec took advantage of that. Now, how did you get into this business? When, when did it start? I answered an ad in the newspaper in 2006, so it really kind of just la- fell into it. I graduated from Concordia in 2006, and I really had no idea what I wanted to do. I uh, spent some time traveling, got back, answered the ad in the paper, and the rest is history. So were you were you working for somebody else before you started your own or you started your own right away? Yeah, I worked in the business for three years for another company and then went ahead and went off my own in 2010. Did you have an aha moment? You just wanted to work for yourself instead? Yeah, you know, there, there's a couple of those moments, especially, you know, when dealing with HR professionals and other, other aspects. So I, I guess the real moment when I decided to go off my own was, you know, I really had a vision for the industry where I wanted to go and I couldn't do that kind of in a mid-level management and kind of want to go off my own and then that's how research consultants international came to be now you you know you're off on your own you you know you're you're leaving a job you start your own you got to build clients i mean you're not you're not getting anywhere without clients what was what was the kind of the first steps or the first things that you that you were thinking about or concerned about when you were launching your own well my main concern at the time was lack of funding so i was unable to get a bank loan i really was running out of money for my previous job so really i had three hundred dollars in the bank total and then I went ahead and my aunt luckily lended me $10,000. So in the bank, I had $10,300. But that also had to pay for my rent. It also had to pay for my food, had to pay for anything. So that wasn't going to last me very long. So what I had to do was I had to go ahead and build a list of every potential client I could find. And it really hit the pavement hard and called hundreds of companies a day until I could find clients that would work with me. You ever get discouraged? You ever want to give up? Never wanted to give up, but there was moments where it was hard to see the vision, especially when I was in my bedroom alone, being a sole practitioner. It was very hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel at some t- times. Now, when you're when you're starting this new business, Research Consultants International, uh, and you, you, I don't know if you use the acronym or not, was how did you find the name? And like, did you have a name at first? It was very hard to choose a name. I really wanted to find a name that was synonymous with something in the industry. I wanted it to mean something. So I wanted Research Consultants International to, to explain what we did. And in our sector, Research Consultants International, you're an international consultant for FDI. So it really kind of, the name kind of explains itself. So I really wanted to fit in. A lot, if, you, if you Google our industry, a lot of the names of the companies are similar. 
So I really wanted to fit right in and kind of build a reputation as we go along. Did you look at a lot of your competition or do you still look at your competition to see what they're doing? Absolutely. You have to. You, have to, you always have to keep an eye on what they're up to. And have you, how have you, have you adjusted as a result or do you just try and really stay ahead of them at all times? You like if you have, look at them and see, hey, you know, they're doing that, maybe I got to consider tweaking something. Absolutely. You always got to keep, keep an eye on what they're up, up to and you always got to innovate and adapt. Now, from a marketing standpoint, at first, I mean, you said you, you were like tons and hundreds of cold calls. Was that the only marketing you were doing at, at first? Or was it always face-to-face and phone call? Were you doing any, did you feel any print, any other traditional media, any online? What were you doing to kind of get your name out there? Well, at the government sector, economic development sector is very old school. So word of mouth is key still. So social media marketing at the time wasn't as relevant as it is today. Now that's all changed. But at the time, I really had to go leverage my own contacts and go ahead and really introduce myself one-on-one because I knew word of mouth and developing my own portfolio was the only way to go. And today, what works? Today, face-to-face networking is key. It's prime. And so you're telling me online marketing for you still is really not not that important. Still, again, economic development, this industry is kind of catching up to the rest of the world. So for us, uh, we're, we're adapting slower. So to, to this day, face-to-face marketing in, and communicating in person is still the way to go and meet clients. Today's Entrepreneur on CJD 800. We'll have more with Bruce Tackoffman of Research Consultants International. Plus, we'll chat with Michael Newton of FL on mergers and acquisitions and how to go about that properly. That's all on the way. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult FL Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back to Today's Entrepreneur, presented by FL Montreal, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. Dan Delmar and FL's Josh Miller with you. And our guest this evening is Bruce Takafman of Research Consultants International. In just a little bit, uh, managing partner at FL, Michael Newton, will be along to discuss uh, M&A, mergers and acquisitions. That is on the way. Uh, but first, uh, Bruce, should we talk about um, a, a new product that you have going? Uh, you, you actually got into the software business. Can you tell us a bit about how that's helped some of your work? Absolutely. Uh, back in January, we started having discussions internally about uh, creating a new software product um, that's really built for the busy economic development professional uh, who may not have time to cultivate all the business intelligence they want to. So we thought, why not have business intelligence right at your fingertips every single day? So the product is FDI 365. It's really built to create one new company of intelligence a day for economic development professionals to come in, come in 10, 15 minutes a day, look at their new intelligence, see what company is expanding, and contact the decision maker directly. So use the, use the term FDI. What does that refer to? FDI is foreign direct investment. Gotcha. And so where is it? Where is it? It's grabbing information from all over the internet. Are there any particular areas that you point to? Was it, was it a long process to figure out exactly where to point it to? Yeah, absolutely. For the last couple of years, we've been using predictive technologies to do lead generation, to do matchmaking. So we thought, why don't we bottle that up and kind of create it into a software product instead of just selling the end result? Now, you never built a software from scratch before, right? Absolutely not. What is your first step? What what scares you senseless before getting into this? Well, I'm an FDI professional. I'm a marketing professional, sales professional. I'm not a software guy. So I had to surround myself with the best personnel I could to make sure this product was what I wanted to be. So I had, luckily I assembled the best FDI 365 team and business intelligence team to execute the vision, but it took us many months to get it to where we wanted it to be. Developers, right? You got to start working with programmers and developers. Absolutely. So you got to work with them. You got to do some of that in-house. You have to outsource some of it. 
it may not look like you want it to right away. It really is patience to get it to what you wanted it to be. Is it difficult to communicate your vision to a techie? Is it difficult to say, this is what I want it to happen? Or Yeah, they get very frustrated with you. They're like, oh, they, they get very upset, but then we'll do it. And they come back the next day and it's done. But at first, they're not crazy about it, but at the end of the day, they do what you want. Tough to find? At first, yes, but once we found the right team, it was good to go. Now, you also have a whole, you know, speaking of technology, you know, that you developed this platform. I guess when you're, when you're, we're talking research and your, your, you know, business intelligence and you started this, you know, eight, nine years ago or so, the technology, that aspect, finding information drastically different today than, than when you started out uh, Research Consultants International. What's been the biggest difference? Absolutely. Before, um, you know, when we generate uh, meeting programs, like say, for example, the premier of Quebec is going to Israel on a visit to visit uh, expanding Israeli companies. And we're, and we're tasked with putting together a mission of, say, 10 to 12 companies that are looking to invest into Quebec. For, in 2010, that would have taken us many months to call thousands and thousands of companies. So really, old school lead generation methods of 2010 have kind of been replaced with artificial intelligence, predictive technologies, and the new ways of 2018. So really almost like you used to open up a phone book and, and look? I mean, Almost, uh... yeah. It almost felt like that. <laughs> like You could almost like, you know, you always have to, have to make 250 calls a day just to get by. What's one of the biggest challenges you face when, when talking to entrepreneurs who, who might be willing to invest in Quebec? What's a major hurdle for them to go through with it? Uh, a lot of American investors don't understand the complexities of Quebec. So... They might at first they they might be lured by the different language skills, different tax credits, workforce. A lot of Americans are just not in tune with what we're going through here up up in Quebec. The language law stuff like that is still coming. They're up. just not aware of it. Yeah, usually. So when you're when you're building, you know, there's also of course the team around you. You know, it's not just about the developer. It's about you know you know the people that are actually conducting the research, making the phone calls. How many people are you today? Twenty five today. So we started off with just myself, and now we're a team of twenty five. A slow progression? Very, very slow. So we really uh, grew kind of incrementally with revenue. So at first it was myself in the first year, then we added two, then year three, four, eight, 16, now 25 today. As, as he dug into his 10,300 bank account from the beginning that he couldn't really afford too much people. At what point, uh, you know, we, we've had a discussion with a number of entrepreneurs that say, you know, you're very informal at first, you have a few people, you're kind of, you know, gabbing and understanding each other. But at some point, you know, and 25 still isn't a lot. You're still, you know, kind of one big happy family. But do you get to a point where you really have to create some formal processes? You have to create a, kind of a, a rule book uh, so everybody, so that you don't have a unique or exception for every single circumstance. Yeah, a couple of years ago when we changed offices for the third time and we got started getting a little bigger, we went from, I think, six to 10 people. That's when we started having a, a company handbook, uh, we put together HR policies, and we created a CRM system. We had to create, we had to become, have a more formal system, otherwise it would be organized chaos. CRM system. Did you have fun building that and creating it? What was your experience with that? CRM being customer relationship management uh, system. Well, it's, it's kind of like getting married. You, you have to date a couple of CRM systems until you choose the one that you want to marry. So once you choose one, you're all in with it. So luckily, this we just changed CRM systems, actually. So now we're using HubSpot as our CRM, and it's been tremendous for us. Now, when you're transitioning from one to the other, is it difficult, like the learning curve, the training, the people on board, onboarding people, you know, change management, you know, it, is, was that a challenge for you? Absolutely. We had to completely change the way we train staff. We had to create a CRM manual, 
a rule manual. Everything is processed now, but at the beginning, it was very informal. Frustrating? At the beginning, yes, but now it's just part of the job. I, you know what, we're, we're kind of about to live through that. So kind of picking your brain from that, from that aspect, coming back to, you know, you, at the beginning, you're, you're offering a service that's really based, it's research, it's time. How do you, but you, you know, you have to stay within, you know, the market and what they're looking for. How did you develop your pricing model? And is it different, you know, when you first started close to 10 years ago versus today? Absolutely. When we first started, uh, I was excited to get any contract. So I, I remember my, my first contract was yesterday. I think I sold uh, three meetings uh, for lead generation for $1,000. I remember high five my, my, my roommate, and I was really excited about that. So at the beginning, we wanted to price very aggressively because we wanted to build a portfolio and really choose to work with high-profile clients. So we were very aggressive. But now, as we're a bit more mature in the market and everyone kind of knows who we are, we've had to price uh, more competitively to kind of in the middle of the market. It seems like you you definitely rely on both quantitative and qualitative data to make your decisions. Uh, in what proportion do you use both? I mean, in what proportion do you, do you rely on the technology and the data versus your own business experience? It's really a 50-50 split. So really, uh, kind of the staff we recruit now, uh, Montreal has tremendous talent base. So uh, you could have an applicant speaking six languages. So that's very uh, useful when you're doing foreign direct investment attraction and lead generation. So um, for us, we use the predictive technologies, we want our staff to be very analytical, and but also have the tenacity to do some of the old school lead generation methods, like reaching out to executives by phone, email, social media, in any way they want to be contacted. And do you see the technology end taking up more and more space from the, the, the qualitative end lately? Absolutely. You, you kind of see that trend emerging in the market, and we had to adapt, or otherwise we would have been extinct. What about AI? Any applications there for your, for your industry? Absolutely. The AI is becoming is, is, an, is uh, very important in our industry. Actually, it's, uh, one of the most, it's one of the biggest industries in Montreal, and it will be one of the biggest uh, trends in economic development as well. How would, you, how would AI work best for you? Well, we kind of use that within FDI 365. So really using that as part of the software, using predictive technologies, uh, making sure that the companies we choose fit our client's demographic because you know, one size doesn't fit all. So a company for Community X may not match Community Y. So it's really got to be specific, tailored for the client. So when you're, when you're hiring somebody, what aspect do you look for? Do they need to be technically savvy? Do they need languages? Do they need to fit with the team? All the above. <laughs> really all the above. You really like... Um, when I first started doing this, when you, as you know, when you're an entrepreneur, at the beginning, you're kind of doing all functions. So you're the CFO, you're the HR coordinator, the sales coordinator, you're everything. Uh, at the beginning, I really didn't know how to hire people properly. So you kind of make some mistakes at the beginning, but then you kind of get a feel for it and you kind of look for people with some of the skills, again, like languages, um, really. And the also, you look for the people to have uh, longevity in past jobs. So I, I look for loyalty and character is some of the attributes I look for as well. And coming up, we will uh, chat with Michael Newton of FL on mergers and acquisitions. Plus, we'll have Bruce's one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur that's on the way. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult FL Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and FL Montreal's Josh Miller with you. And joining us this evening is Bruce Tackoffman of Research Consultants International. His one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur is on the way. But first, chatting with FL Managing Partner Michael Newton. Welcome back, Michael. Hey, Dan. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Good, thanks. You're here to talk about MNA, not MMA, mixed martial arts, MNA. 
Well, you Mergers know, if, if this was video, you would you would look at Mike and say, "Yeah, it's no, not mixed." He looks very mixed tough. Mixed he looks like he could he could get by in MMA. He he could stare you down. No question. <laughs> no question about it. You I know, have, I have like seven minutes, guys. Really, is this what you want to spend your time on? <laughs> so, I, one of the first questions I had, and Bruce brought it up earlier. Uh, when you're talking, you know, buying, selling a business, mm-hmm. and the reality is, you know, when you're selling your business, there's a lot of Americans uh, looking north of the border, and uh, and it's a little, a little bit cheaper, but they don't always understand Quebec. Might not even understand Canada. So, Mike, what are you seeing? And some of the some of the mer- the acquisitions that you've seen, is it been difficult discussions in that respect? Well, I think the main issue really revolves around why is somebody doing an acquisition? I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, whether they're buying into Quebec or if I'm a Quebec or selling a company, I'm going to have to take into account, obviously, the foreign exchange if I'm looking south of the border or Europe. Uh, obviously, the whole discussion of uh, Quebec culture and work ethic and a whole bunch of other things that may be not normal to the rest of this province and or this, uh, this continent uh, certainly have to to come into play and i think if you're being involved in a transaction you have to be pretty transparent about that from uh, from the beginning now there's no question i mean when you're when you're sitting it's there's it's a little negotiation you're dealing with people yeah their numbers will speak yes you'll have to you know you know you can be as, as spin doctory as you want but you're really sitting across the table from a potential you know buyer or vendor or vendor uh negotiation you know plays a big role what are the aspects or what do you see, what, what kind of guidance would you give uh, entrepreneurs when you're kind of sitting across the table from, from not your foe, but hopefully, hopefully somebody that's going to work with you? Uh, again, it's uh, am I buying or am I selling? I mean, obviously, I take a very different approach depending on what side of the table I'm sitting on. Let's say on. you're buying. So if I'm buying, uh, clearly, I'm never trying to give away too much up front. Uh, I want to make sure that uh, whoever I'm uh, going to look at uh, makes the first move. Um, and part of the problem, though, starts long before you get to the table. And I think a lot of people forget um, why they're doing an acquisition. I mean, they, some people are going to do an acquisition for their ego, and there's very little as professionals you can help in that environment. But if somebody's actually going into a transaction for a legitimate reason, um, you know, what are you, what are you looking at? Are you buying a company for vertical integration, horizontal integration, geographical? Are you buying a product, a product? process, a procedure, am I buying resources, staff, assets, whatever the case is. You need to define that up front because I think it allows you the the, the leeway and how much roof, movement you have in the negotiation room. And what if you're on the you're on the selling side and you you know you're you're really you just want to of course you got to put lipstick on a pig or make it look really good. So what about that side of it? Really I'm going to hope that pig comment wasn't directed at me. It um, was not. So if I'm selling, I'm, I'm pretty much trying to talk nothing. Again, it depends what I'm trying to do. If, if I'm shopping my business versus somebody knocking on my door, I'm going to have a very different approach. If somebody knocks on my door, I'm going to make them work hard to get information from us. Um, if uh, I'm shopping the business, then it's a little bit different because my market is, uh, I'm a little more, uh, it's like putting your house on the market ultimately at the end of the day. Somebody knocks on your door and says, hey, I love that house. Are you willing to sell it? You're in the driver's seat. If I have to go around and shop it, it's not quite as uh, not quite as mobile. How do you communicate that your business is on the market without communicating their business on the market. I mean, how do you put those vibes out there without actually going out and saying it? There's a couple of different ways. I mean, uh, there, there's obviously the the use of, uh, of you, the equivalent of a business broker. Uh, so, you know, again, you're selling your house, you go and you find a real estate broker. So if you want to sell your business, you go on that way. Um, there's word of mouth. Um, there is... Uh, there, is there is an M&A club in Montreal. There is there, a mergers and You're right. There's club. an M&A club. There are a number of people trying to create databases so that you can link up and find a way. Uh, 
Uh, problem with that obviously becomes a privacy issue. Um, but the one thing you do have to be very, very, very careful of is, um, you know, the moment you go to market and everybody knows you go to market, uh, you know, the business may have a very different uh, MO the next day when everybody finds out you're for sale. Bruce, with your FDI 365 and, and, and building that lead generation, is it take away or leave you a little bit of anonymity where you can go out and see who might be a better suitor than anybody else? Absolutely. We've uh, come across mandates over the years where we've had buyers and sellers come to us and say, we want to find someone to buy our business. So through lead generation, we'll create matches of companies looking to buy and sell with each other across the border, U.S. and Canada or U.S. and U.S. It's ultimately one of the toughest transactions you will do. Uh, you have to agree on a price and there's so much you know, um, red tape and things you have to go through before it's ultimately done. It might take a while for a transaction to be completed. Now, Mike, I know this answer is going to be it depends, but... It depends. It depends. Thank you very much tuning out. So the negotiation, you know, you're, there could be a lot of people sitting around a table. Such thing as too many people or such thing as either too many professionals, too many entrepreneurs, too many egos. Uh, are you better one-on-one? Are you better really... Uh, what do you, what do you, what's your take? I much prefer a very streamlined negotiating team. Um, I'm also going to decide who's going to, who's going to be part of the negotiating team by who has the best poker face ultimately at the end of the day. Uh, the last thing I need is somebody looking at this and uh, giving away the, uh, giving away the farm with the, well, I'm not even looking at them to find out the transaction. Um, though, however, if I do know that somebody on the other side may be a little bit weaker, uh, I may bring their counterpart along, uh, on our side so that we can, uh, we can have somebody give it away. But yeah, the reality is more people at the table, the more confusion, the more confusion, the longer the discussion and the more it becomes about, um, how do I say this measurement? Do you see deals taking a long time these days or, or are people really, I mean, there's money in the market or they just want to close? There's money in the market. I mean, the Quebec market right now, part of the problem revolves around uh, quality candidates out there. So there's an awful lot of money chasing very few really quality candidates at the end of the day. Um, the uh, the transaction process certainly longer than it used to be. Uh, you go back, uh, you know, you go back 10 years, you could do it cocktail napkin. Now uh, it's clearly a much more professional, uh, professionally driven component. Uh, and uh, not always, uh, not not always a slow process, not always a quick process. Sorry. Excellent. Thanks very much, Mike. I know so much more we can talk about M and A, but uh, we're going to cut you off there. I'm it's, shocked. It's great. It's great when I can cut off Mike. Uh, <laughs> and as we approach the last moment of our shows, we do each week. Uh, we'll turn to uh, Bruce Tackerman of Research Consultants International and ask you, Bruce, what would be your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur? I think really the to tell the entrepreneur of tomorrow, really the power of focus, really. Um, Entrepreneurs tell me, you know, we have, I have five, six, or seven businesses on the side, really don't have a business at all. They have concepts or little side gigs. I think the power of focus and mindfulness, being able to go all in on your business, really devote all your time and energy professionally to one concept or idea and really go with it, just focus on it completely and think about it and strategize and execute your plan. So to leave the audience with this, power of focus. Excellent. Thanks very much, Bruce. Great words. Thanks very much to Bruce Tackovman of Research Consultants International and, of course, Mike Newton of uh, FL with uh, some news and notes on MNA. And, Josh, we're off next week. Off next week, back on the 12th. Back on the 12th with the Montreal Centre for Anxiety and Depression. Very interesting business. We'll get to that in a couple of weeks. And don't forget, flmontreal.com for uh, over nine years' worth of shows on the community section there. Check that out. And we'll be back here in two weeks. Have a good night.